When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? This one question could be a whole acting exercise, the kind where you attempt to say the same thing in several different ways. How is John asking this question? Is it with eyes wide with hope? Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Is it with impatience? Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Is it with anger? Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Is it with pain or doubt? Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Why is John asking this question anyway? He's John the Baptist, the great wilderness prophet, the preface and prelude to Jesus' own ministry. But a lot has changed in a week and in the several chapters that we skipped. Last week, we read of John the Baptist in the wilderness, away from the city, preparing the way for Jesus, proclaiming a message of repentance, with a great crowd gathered around him, hungry for change, listening to his powerful message, promise and possibility and excitement buzzing in the air. And now, John the Baptist is in prison, confined, isolated from most of his community. He can't see what is happening with Jesus' ministry. He knows only what he hears from others, and even then are the reports true. 
John told of the one who would baptize with spirit and fire, the one who is coming in judgment, separating wheat from chaff, the one who is to come is supposed to throw off the oppressor, fill the poor with good things, and set the captives free. And here he is, captive, feeling like chaff, He's in prison. Has God forgotten him? Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? This is a good passage for us to read together. This is what we need on the third Sunday of Advent in our darkest month of the year while we wait and long and hope. Even the great John the Baptist, the one who points to Jesus, the greatest of all who ever lived, has doubts. Even John the Baptist, proclaimer and prophet, has questions for Jesus. It's a reminder for us sitting here today that doubt is part of faith. It's unavoidable, it's necessary, it's even healthy and good. We think of doubt and faith as opposite, but they are only opposite in the way that two sides of the same coin are opposite, that you can't really have one without the other. Doubt shows that you're thinking about your faith, that you're paying attention, that you're humble enough to second guess, that you care enough about what you believe in to ask questions and wrestle through the hard stuff, finding a way forward to get to the core of what matters, to get to a deeper understanding of what it is you truly believe. I love this time of year. The music, the decorations, the twinkling lights, the gift-giving. But I know it's also a really tough time of year. The short days and long nights, the demands on our schedules and energy, the financial pressure, the expectation to feel happy or cheerful, something you might not be feeling in the moment. And there's a lot of grief this time of year too, especially the first Christmas after a loved one has passed. This time of hope, anticipation, joy, and delight can also be a time of sadness, exhaustion, anger, and doubt. All of these things can be true and true at the same time. I think of Barbara Brown Taylor's Learning to Walk in the Dark. It's a book about spirituality that embraces uncertainty. In one passage of this book, she writes about those nights when you can't sleep because you can't stop thinking about something, you know, when your mind won't let your body rest. She writes, a bed, in short, is where you face your nearness to or your farness from God. Whether you are in pain or not, 
whether you are an anxious person or not, even, I think, whether you are a religious person or not. A bed is where you come face to face with what really matters because it is too dark for most of your usual shallowing distractions to work. You can turn on the lights if you want, but they are all artificial. The most they can do is postpone your encounter with what really matters. Now, if Barbara Brown Taylor was writing a guide to better sleep, she would probably suggest visualizing a tranquil scene, taking deep, controlled breaths, remove screen time, limit caffeine, exercise during the day. But Barbara Brown Taylor is not a sleep coach. She's more of a spiritual coach. So instead, she suggests, to herself at least, what if I could learn to trust my feelings instead of asking to be delivered from them? What if I could follow one of my great fears all the way to the edge of the abyss, take a breath, and keep going? Isn't there a chance of being surprised by what happens next? She admits that it takes courage to do this, that it takes practice too. But it's necessary if we want to have a faith that persists even in the most challenging times. In our gospel text, John's not in a bed, but he's in prison. He is also cut off from all those other distractions. In his solitude, he is left coming face to face with what really matters. If this is a moment of doubt, then John does the right thing. He brings his question to Jesus. He's honest with his disciples about what he's thinking and feeling. Jesus responds to John's question by telling John's disciples to simply bear witness to what they are seeing, to share the transformation that is taking place. What if we practiced our faith that way? When doubt creeps in, instead of blaming ourselves for not being stronger in faith, instead of pushing those feelings down, trying to ignore them, or plastering on a big smile to fit in with all the other smiling faces in worship? What if we embraced our doubts and our questions and we shared them with honesty? I think our faith would be stronger for it. And I think we would be better equipped to minister to one another. We would know that we weren't alone in our doubts and our questions. We could share what we've experienced, knowing someone else has gone through the same thing. We wouldn't need to shoulder the burden of the hard times alone. And why should we, when we have a whole faith community willing to help hold the heavy stuff? God has been at work in the world since the very, 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 very beginning of the universe. And God will be at work until the very end, or not really end, but to infinity and beyond, or eternal life, or however you want to put it. 
And our lives on earth are this short in comparison. We experience the smallest sliver of this during our life on earth, a dot on this enormous timeline. So obviously, we wouldn't understand it all. Why shouldn't we have questions? John the Baptist, in his time as God's messenger, had a huge part in God's story, this incredible thing that God was doing at this moment in history. But John could only see this much, this teeny tiny part of the picture. And for a moment, he wondered about the bigger picture, all the stuff that he couldn't see. Did his life matter? Because he was about to lose his life, sacrifice his life for this work. So did it make a difference in God's activity on earth? Of course it did. He just needed to be reminded. We are in a faith community for a reason. We need one another. When we are having trouble seeing God's work in the world, when we're impatient or angry or doubting, when we have questions or curiosities or fear, we are, we are surrounded by a community who can sit with us in that discomfort who can witness to God's love, who can hold the Christ light for us. People who can draw on their own experiences of their most difficult times and share how they made it through to the other side. On this third Sunday of Advent, when we are almost to Christmas, but not quite there yet, we remember that when our own doubts seem too big to hold alone, we can rest in the faith of one another and in God who holds us all.